Hi, this is Stuart Hardy with All In Sports Outreach, and I'm so excited to share a new episode of our podcast with you. Today, you're going to hear from Alex Johnson. Coach Johnson is currently the athletic director for the Socorro Consolidated School District in Socorro, New Mexico. He's married. They have two kids, just an incredible man of God, just a young man on fire, using his platform of athletics to make Jesus known. I cannot wait for you to hear. Well, thanks for joining me today, Alex. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here, and I pretty cool to see the journey that got us to this point especially with all the missed phone calls so yeah absolutely <laughs> um i always like to start these off with some background information so if you don't mind just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself um you know where you grew up your family growing up and a little bit about your family today so currently i have two boys um jacoby franklin he uh, just turned four and then Amador Russell, he just turned two, and my wife is pregnant um, with uh, our baby girl due in April. Um, so that's where we're at right now. Um, getting to that point, um, man, I moved a lot. So I was born in Wichita, Kansas, and from there, I graced the states of Indiana, Minnesota, Missouri. I went to Harding University my freshman year of college, and then I ended up at Missouri State um, for my undergraduate, which is where I met my wife. Um, if you ask me what home is, that's a hard one. I guess mm-hmm. the best would be where I went to high school, which is St. Louis, Missouri. Um, I'm a diehard Cardinals fan um, as far as baseball is concerned. But um, yeah, I, I I don't know. It's it's crazy when my wife and I talk about how we ended up meeting and where we ended up. I could have been anywhere, especially with all the moves I made. And so, um, yeah. I, I mean, all over the country, since we've been married, we've been in Mountaineer, New Mexico for three years. We were in Plano, Texas for two years, and now we're in Socorro, so, um, where I currently serve as athletic director. Um, I'm a weight training and conditioning teacher, and then I also coach football on the head boys track coach. So that's uh, that's my family where we're at right now. That's, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, that's crazy to um, be athletic director and also track coach. Um, and teaching other classes that's um a lot of balls that's a lot. in the air yeah, yeah that's a lot so you mentioned about your family moving around a lot was it a did you grow up in a family of faith and then at what point did you realize you know what i need a personal relationship with jesus well so the the whenever i tell my story about how much i moved as a kid um the first question i get is were you a military kid right mm. yeah that's 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 the first one and no i wasn't um my main answer has always been that my dad was a man of faith who went where he thought God wanted him, um, which included, I only went to one high school, so that was a blessing, but many different elementary schools, many different middle schools. So, um, you know, my mom and dad both were raised in the church. My dad was raised in the Baptist church, old school. My, my mom was raised Lutheran. Um, and so they kind of, when they got together, you know, my, my wife, my mom was definitely, you know, peace, love, grace, all that stuff and my dad came from you know he was an athlete played sports and then you know youth group and stuff was kind of for lack of a better term pushed on him you know the you know just old school christianity and Mm -hmm. when they got married though it was very obvious like this is how they were going to raise their kids so um whether it was my you know i joke because you know some sundays it was my mom waking us up and making sure my dad was leading us to church and some sundays it was the other way around um it was always it was always as if they were balancing each other out. Um, hmm. and, and I think that, you know, my wife and I talk about this all the time. 
Um, when we, when my wife and I got together, you know, I was very, very, um, sounds bad into my faith, but I, I, everything I did was led by what Jesus wanted me to do. And Mm. she was, she was a Christian, but, um, much less mature in, in her walk. Um, and as the years have gone by now, my wife is currently pursuing her master's in biblical counseling, um, reminding me to, yeah, reminding me on a daily basis. Have you read your Bible? Are you praying? You know, how are you praying? Um, and then also reminding me that, you know, with the kids that I work with here in Socorro, that I'm a model for them that they might not see at home, like every single day. And, Mm -hmm. and so yeah. So as far as growing up in a family of faith, sorry, that's a long winded answer, but yes, for no, sure so they were, um, as far as me deciding it was for me, I, I like to think, you know, I know conversion is a one-time experience, but really actually living it out happened later for me. So my sixth mm. grade year, my sixth grade year, I was going to a church camp that I didn't want to go to. Um, it was, um, camp challenge in Bedford, Indiana. We were living in Indianapolis at the time. And I had been to all these very, you know, affluent camps with, you know, all the, all the bells and whistles. And then we got to Indiana and my dad was like, you're going to that one. And I remember we toured it before and, you know, the cabins were all old and there wasn't a lot of extracurricular activities. But when it came down to it, the reason I got saved that week was because there were no bells and whistles. And Mm. it, it was, it was going back to backyard football and, you know, when we were done with our meal, every kid from each cabin had a responsibility of cleaning up after the mess hall. And it was just like what camp should have been. And, and I remember, um, sitting in a worship service and just losing it. I just like, I just couldn't understand like why worship for the first time actually felt like worship. And I went and pulled my, um, my cabin director, my counselor aside and, and, uh, he prayed with me. Um, and then I got, baptized that week at camp. So talk about a conversion that my parents didn't even know about, you know, I get saved and baptized. Um, but then life happened. I went back to, you know, select soccer, travel sports, the busyness of life and, and really just being a kid. And we moved after my sixth grade year back to Minnesota. Um, and I was heavily involved in youth group when we were there and my entire family's in Minnesota. So we were very involved in faith because you know when you're around not just your mom and dad but also your god-fearing grandparents like you don't miss a sunday or a wednesday um but then I, we moved to st louis my sophomore year and uh sophomore year i was pretty involved with our church youth group but i it was kind of you know just part of the rhythm and then my junior year i got heavily involved in fellowship of christian athletes um and that really turned it around for me because I was now, I wasn't president at the time, but I was one of the associates, like the leaders, I guess, for FCA. And so at that point, it turned for me to like, okay, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I'm a leader in this organization that professes Christianity, but I was still only doing the right things because I didn't want to be a hypocrite, not because it really like meant something for me personally. Um, And so I went on a mission trip after the summer of my junior year to Tijuana, Mexico. um, And not that I got saved again, because I you get right. saved once. I was covered in God's grace already, but that was when my faith actually like became real for me. And so when I came back from that mission trip, um, my senior year, I actually applied to be the president of Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Um, when we started, we had maybe like ten to fifteen kids, and it was 
you know, for lack of a better term, a lame group of people who didn't really want to be there. And it really turned into this, like, almost like an extension of a youth group. And I'll never forget it. Our star running back, uh, Matt Brewer, um, I wasn't that close with him, but um, he was a beast. He got a full ride to Army. He played four years at Army, I think, as a linebacker. He came in one night and not that that we need moments of validation, but that was like a moment for me where I was like, we're doing something right here. Um, and so that senior year for sure. And then I ended up going back to Tijuana that next summer after I graduated and I worked there full time for a summer as the sports ministry coordinator. Um, and we would go out in the field and we'd play soccer with kids all day. And at halftime of our game, we'd offer them a free Coke if they'd listen and stay, uh, sit and stay and listen to our testimonies. And I was the Spanish translator. So got saved sixth grade became real in high school. Um, and then really that sports ministry really set the foundation for what I'm doing in my career right now, because I, it kind of showed me like, okay, you want to work with kids and you want to work in athletics. Um, and what better way to do that? You know, the mission field doesn't necessarily need to be in some other country. It's right where God wants you for one. And then for two, it's, it's with the passion that God's given you because I mean, I sure don't wake up every day as a teacher for the pay. You know, you do it because this is where God wants you. So um, that's the reminder every day. Like I have a picture in my office that's uh, one of the kids who got saved during one of our trips. And his name was uh, Beto. I don't know where he is right hmm. now. Who knows? But um, they called him Betito Guapo, little Beto Guapo. And um, I'll never forget that. That was the first one that I prayed in, in Spanish with him to receive Christ. And that really set the tone for what I'm doing now. So um, yeah, that, uh, I guess that goes with, you know, why I'm in coaching and athletics too, because, you know, you grow up loving sports and being around sports and your dad and mom reinforcing sports. But then when you can connect it to your faith, it just makes it a whole different thing. So that's awesome. No, I love that. I'm, um, I love that answer because a lot of people, you know, when I ask that question, it is, it's that I was six or I was 15 or I was in college, but I love hearing how it all comes together because, most people, they have that conversion moment, mm -hmm. but something happens later, especially those of us that grew up in a family of faith and make that decision early in life. Something happens later that really ignites it. Well, you, you know, know, when you, so well, yeah, like when you, when you grow up in a youth group and like you're just saying around the church, there's almost this pressure not to conform, but to like, Hey, like, be here, you know, and mm -hmm. I think a lot, a lot of my young faith was just out of fear of not doing the right thing rather than, than the keeping the main thing, the main thing. And, and when you, when the pressure, when the pressure goes off and it's not about, you know, what you didn't do, but what you are doing, I think it just changes the whole way you live your life because it's not some checkbox of, Oh, I did this, this, and this today, because then you're not going to bed. Feel, I mean, I, uh, one thing I'll tell you is my youth pastor told me one time I was like, I was praying with him and I was like, man, I just, I feel bad because when I'm, when I go to bed at night, I fall asleep praying. And I was like, should I feel bad about that? And he, he goes, is there a better way to fall asleep than praying? And I was like, mm. wow. Okay. okay. And, and, and for me, that was like a moment of like, not releasing guilt, but almost like, okay, like God, do what you're going to do, <laughs> you know? And if that's yeah. me getting through half my prayer and then waking up and going, okay, let's start this day. Like, I can't think of a better way than that. So for sure. That's right. Definitely. No, and you're right. Growing up in the church, it is, I don't know about, yeah, there's fear, there's rules. And for me, I grew up in a really small church. And so this sounds so silly, but at a younger age, third or fourth grade, 
I walked down the aisle and really it, the, the root of it was I wanted to be a church member, you know, yeah. I wanted to in quotes because, you know, baptism and then, Oh, when they pass the Lord's supper, you're not the only one not taking it, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so yeah. really that's what it was. And then it was, then our family moved. It was a very mm-hmm. um, traumatic in a way. It was the first time my parents had ever moved and I was going to eighth grade. And so okay. they had never moved. They're in their forties at this. What a year to me. Um, and so yeah, and they had never, never moved in their life. They'd have been in the same church forever. And so we all have to go find this church. And I remember literally in tears telling my parents, I did not want to go to this one church we're going to because they were different. And really what it was, <laughs> it took about a year to figure out they were. They were different, but they were yeah. They were living for Christ, and I, I had just grown up going to church. Yeah, yeah. You're, well, so, and my, and it was my, I was 15 at that time, and man, it, it rocked my world because I, I had no idea what it meant to have a yeah. relationship. I knew what it meant to go to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Yeah, well, like I said, that's how my dad was raised, and and one thing that I think he learned from that, getting over some bitterness from the legalistic Christianity, he always told me, you know, if you're standing in a garage, does that make you a car? And I say, mm. no. And he, and he would say, well, then, and then does going to church make you a Christian? Nope. He's like, so suck it up, buttercup. It's time to do this on your own. And that like, yeah. that's kind of how my, and it was good having that. Cause it's, it's, you know, I think you need a balance. I, I think it's that's so right. important. So I'm totally with it. But eighth grade year moving. Um, I didn't move my eighth grade year, but I moved before my seventh grade year. So I had middle school, seven, eighth, nine. And then I moved before my sophomore year. So all my best friends at my high school thought I was a freshman because I moved there my sophomore year. So I was brand new. And for what it's worth, that's fine. I mean, it worked out. But my, my nickname was, was something along the lines of, of uh, freshman, even though I was a sophomore my entire three years of high school. <laughs> so it's a, tough, <laughs> it's a tough transition for sure. And middle school, yeah. man, what a tough time. So for sure. It was, but it ended up being – and what's funny how God, you know – moves you for certain reasons. And I think we're getting her to head down that journey in, in your life, but um, yeah. God, God moves you for certain reasons. We mm-hmm. only were gone for three years and then we moved back to the same place. Really? And so when I look at our family, what happened in those three years to our entire family was life changing. You know, yeah. it's funny how God, God took our family away for three years and then put us back. Mm-hmm. And we really didn't want to move back, but God, yeah you know, brought us back. And it's, and it's, it's amazing how moving from eighth, ninth and 10th grade, I moved back my junior year, but just moving away those three important years literally changed my life. Not, not emotionally because of a move, but it literally changed my life. And I go, okay, I get it. Um, I didn't want to move. Um, I didn't want to move back, but you know, God, God does it. So, well, well, you probably wouldn't have been the same person had you stayed. Nope. I mean, oh, I know for a fact. I mean, that, for a fact, we would not be sitting here having this conversation. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you moved, brother. Sounds yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so um, we'll we'll get on down down your story. This is about you. Um, yeah. We'll talk about faith a little bit more. But I want to talk about um, your coaching journey. You mentioned being in coaching, kind of why. Um, but one mm-hmm. thing I want to talk about is you mentioned you're you're now in uh, Socorro, New Mexico athletic director coach but you've also coached here in in texas which is a big deal Mm -hmm. um coaching in texas is not a 
got a small job. It's no. um, especially on the football side. It's 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 religion. Yeah. So talk about being here in Texas, where coaching is it. You've arrived, if you will. So now you're you're in New Mexico. God takes you from there. Talk about that journey. So my first three years, like, so, well, really it started getting my bachelor's at Missouri state. Um, I joke because I still have a couple buddies who they finally have gotten their first teaching jobs because they weren't willing to move out of state. Um, and so they did para jobs and they did, you know, insurance or whatever, and they still coached, but they just couldn't, you know, they didn't want to leave Springfield, Missouri, or they didn't want to leave St. Louis. Um, and so when I graduated from Missouri state, um, I literally applied everywhere. I, I went on, there was a website that my director of the physical education and kinesiology program at Missouri state showed me it's called us REAP. Um, and it's basically, um, it's a, a database of title one schools all across the country that have a hard time filling jobs. And let's be frank because they can't pay as well. Um, and so I went on that database and I, I basically clicked yes on all PE jobs. Um, and so New Mexico has a lot of those because every single school, I'm pretty sure that every single school district in the state of New Mexico, um, qualifies for title one funding. So, um, I, I had applied in, I think it was, well, probably May cause I knew when I was going to graduate, I had just proposed to my now wife, Kelsey, um, with no idea how, how I was going to support her. And, uh, that summer I was working, um, lawn mowing, weed eating, all this other stuff. And, uh, it was on her birthday, June 27th, um, 2013. And I got an email from actually my current superintendent who was then the superintendent in Mountaineer. And he said, I just uh, received notification. I think it was like two o'clock in the morning that the PE teacher who I had hired showed up, said, Nope, not for me and left. So I'm going to need a PE teacher. Are any of you still interested? So I was on this email thread of about 30 people who had applied for the position originally back in April. And I, it was two o'clock in the morning. I called my fiance at the time and woke her up and said, Hey, what do you think? And she was like, and I, I'll never forget this. This is not because of me. It's because of her. She said, Alex, you better be willing to move to New Mexico. Cause if you apply for that job and you interview, you're going to get it. And we're going to have to move to New Mexico. And it, I thought it was overconfident, um, to say the least, but I, I said, so let's pray. So I prayed about it. And, uh, I emailed him back. His name's Ron Hendricks. And he emailed me the next day. I had a Skype interview on Monday. And uh, during the interview, um, I don't know if I'm still, I, I hope I'm still this bold, but in my interview, he asked me like what my main job as a coach and a teacher would be. And I mentioned, you know, I'm a believer. Um, I'm a man of God. And it's impossible for me to do my job without that weaving its way somehow into what I want to do. So I hope that that doesn't disqualify me from the position because that's who I'm going to, this is who you're getting basically. And I, my phone buzzed back at that time. I had a little BlackBerry, which man, it takes you back. But, uh, um, oh, wow. it yeah, it was a text from him and he said, you're the guy for this job. Don't say anything on the interview, but you're already hired. Like, please accept this position. So stepping out on a ledge and, and talking about my faith, which can get you in trouble, whatever that means, so to speak, landed me my first teaching job in Mountaineer, New Mexico. Um, I moved out there in August um, by myself and every paycheck I got for two weeks, I just sent a thousand dollars back to my wife so she could pay for our wedding. Uh, I flew back in September, we got married. And then, uh, 
um, sight unseen. I brought her out with me and, uh, she had never seen it before. I had never been to, we had never been to New Mexico before. So I took this job just basically saying, okay, God, this is where you'll have me. I coached there for three years. I taught every position or every student K through 12 in physical education. And then I also, um, coached football, basketball and track at the middle school level. Um, and then after three years there, uh, like you mentioned, um, I thought Texas was the end all and be all. And that if, if I really wanted to move up in the coaching ranks and do what I felt called to do, that that was the only answer. So, um, the summer of 2014, I, uh, no, 2014 or 15, um, I had applied for a job at Frankfurt middle school, also in Plano. And I was a shoe and I thought I had the job and we took my kids that we were currently leading in Mountain Air to a church camp. And, um, once we got there, I didn't have any cell service and I was supposed to be notified who got the position before we left. And I remember walking up to the top of the mountain to get enough service to listen to my voicemail. And I was informed, uh, you did not get the position. Thank you. Please, you know, apply again next year. So, um, my journey to Texas started and maybe it was God saying, um, Hey, this isn't for you, but you got to find it out for yourself. But again, another year passed, I applied for another job also in the Plano ISD it opened up and I ended up teaching Texas history and U S history there for two years. Um, I was the special teams coordinator at the middle school. I was the director of our middle school basketball program. And then I volunteered my time, uh, doing middle school track. Um, but the biggest part of my job for sure in Texas to get back to your original question was working with Plano senior high. Um, every middle school coach has a job that they do, Mm -hmm. you know, with uh, the, the varsity staff in my first year, man, it was grunt work. I, uh, I ODK'd so many films and, um, I, you know, yard markers, hash, everything. Um, I was up there every Saturday morning, you know, doing the laundry after a Friday night win or a loss. Um, and then I sat in on film sessions. So I was honestly, my wife was looking at me like, you don't get paid enough to do this. And I was like, yeah, Mm. but this is, this is what you do to get to where you want to be. And then sure enough, we came back in July, um, before, the next season and uh we had our coaches meeting and normally i got placed with all the middle school coaches but i got called out into another room with some other guys who were much more advanced in their years in texas coaching than me and i thought oh no what did i do wrong and we got our our chart of every middle school assignment and i kept flipping through the pages and i didn't see my name and i thought man this is bad and i got to the end of it and uh it's on this little venn diagram of you know the breakdown of what's it called? Um, chain of command. My name was at the top is quality control coach for Plano senior high special teams. And I was like, Ooh, what? (laughs) So that's um, big time for middle school coach. Yeah. And so I got that job and, you know, I was, I was, you know, still, you know, a get back coach. And, but I was right there every Saturday morning with the special team varsity staff. And, you know, I was being told, I can't wait to have you up here. Um, and then circumstances that were honestly out of my control happened. And, um, God just kind of shut the door on Texas to be completely honest. And I had to sit at home kind of reevaluating after the football season, I was in the basketball season, what the next step was. Um, then my old superintendent from mountain air called me and he was like, why don't you just come back to New Mexico? Mm. Come on, man. Why don't you come back? And I was, I looked, I laughed because my wife and I were very clear. We're never going back to New Mexico. And that was probably our biggest mistake, telling God what we were going to do with our lives. So um, 
full transparency, he told me, he, he asked me, what do I need to do to get you here? Because uh, I know you're teaching history and you'd rather be using your major as a weight training teacher. My weight training teacher is leaving. Um, can you do that? You know, get off the phone, tell my wife, oh, that's good. But man, like, what else? What do you want to coach? Uh, I want to coach football. I'd love to do track. He ended up giving me the head cross country job, um, the special teams coordinator job for our varsity football staff. I was an assistant varsity basketball coach and I got the head boys track coach. And I got off the phone and I said, well, honey, here's all these things he's offering me. Well, I still don't have a job. Okay. Called him back. Hey, my wife needs a job. Okay. She can be the pre-K teacher at Parkview. Just boom, boom, boom. And uh, that's elementary here. So when one door closes, it's like two big old French Southern style doors flying open. Like I would have been a fool not to look at that and go, okay, God, like, I guess you want me back in New Mexico. Um, and then, you know, getting back here for sure. Um, those coaching jobs were great. Uh, there was a salary cut. I mean, from Texas to New Mexico, that changes things too. So honestly, I was coaching a lot to make up the, the difference in my old pay. Um, but then December rolled around, I had already finished my master's from Eastern New Mexico. I'm a greyhound. Um, and, uh, working with the football staff here, um, had really gotten me into the door with like the most revered and respected men in town. Um, they just do things the right way, you know, and I'll talk about it later. You know, their core value, our core values of DEA, discipline, effort, attitude, um, working with those guys. I think I gained the trust that this young guy could step in as AD, um, and our former athletic director stepped down and I got called into the superintendent's office. So he's been my superintendent twice now. And he said, you ready? And, uh, I was like, what do you mean? He's like, we're all in agreement that you should take this job. It'll be under an interim basis. Um, but we think that you're the man for the job. You know, what do you think? And I asked him for a week to pray on it and think over it. He gave that to me and then I accepted the position. Um, and honestly, the rest is history. My schedule has changed quite a bit this year from last year because, you know, being in a small community, um, you juggle a lot. There's a lot mm-hmm. of hats in the air. Um, and so I still teach half time. I have a full teaching schedule technically, but two of those classes are football. So that's um, really just an hour and a half of practice added to my day. Um, but my mornings are teaching weight training and conditioning. And then I have a prep after lunch to work on all my athletic director duties for an hour and a half. And then I get to go coach my last period of the day for football. And then in the spring, it'll be track. Um, so the journey was, man, definitely not what I would have drawn up. Um, but that's, I think, the beauty of it all. Because, you know, I'm sitting here in my own office and 29 years old. And I remember graduating thinking, okay, am I even going to have a job? And and I just, you know, God, God blesses you with, with things that you could have never dreamed of. And I definitely wouldn't have picked anywhere in the state of New Mexico, especially not even being, I've driven through here once to go to California besides the first Mm. time I moved out here. So, um, but yeah, the difference in coaching in Texas and New Mexico, it's different for sure. Um, But coaching on an eight and four Plano senior high team versus competing for a state championship this year and winning the hearts of these men, young men, and actually, actually getting to know them on a personal level. I mean, we have a football roster of almost 60 kids and an enrollment of 450 at a high school like that. Wow. Those numbers shouldn't be that way, but they are that way for a reason. It's because of the great men that are on, on our football staff. Um, and so it's apples and oranges for sure. Texas to New Mexico. Um, 
but man, I'm here and it's a good thing because I just, I think I told you this. And when we talked previously, I, I worked with a lot of guys in Texas and the best coach I've ever worked for is here in this small town in Southern New Mexico. The dude could be coaching at the NFL level if he wanted to, but he's investing in lives of young men and he's mentored me. He used to be our athletic director. He was a principal at AD, you know, played college football at New Mexico state and Western New Mexico. He could be doing anything he wants, but he chooses to be here. And so I think that's the way you got to look at it. You know, Texas, New Mexico, both have their, you know, their, their ups, their downs, their strengths and their weaknesses. But when you're where God wants you, um, coaching in a three, a state championship in Southern New Mexico can feel like coaching in Texas stadium for, you know, you know, refugio or Allen or whoever else. So yeah, it's just, I think it's about perspective really. Yeah. That's what I was going to mention. I mean, you went there with the state championship. I mean, you go through um, a move that you said you would never do back in New Mexico. Yep. God says, watch this. Right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you no. Know, and cause I still remember even before we had our first phone conversation, getting the text from you about you, about y'all playing in the state championship, you know, and just thinking, man, that's crazy without it. And I didn't know your story at the time, but I knew that playing in a state championship is, is, is unbelievable. And so I can't, I can't put into words what, the buildup was like, but then that, even with the loss, you know, we lost to a very talented private school in Albuquerque. Um, they could probably be playing up at four a, they'd be competing at five a probably. And, and so like, I don't know, our program, I told you went from, I think it was Oh and 10, Oh and 10, four and seven, nine and two, 12 and one mm-hmm. in five years. And yeah. And so that's why, you know, when you ask Texas versus New Mexico, it's like, where does God want you? You know? And, and you're right. If you tell God, no, he's going to just laugh in your face. And that's what he did to us. So. <laughs> Man, I've got a lot of story. We could do a whole nother, con- probably a couple hour conversation on the times where I've told God what I was going to do and what I yeah. wasn't going to do. And he yeah. says, ha, watch this, you know? <laughs> yeah. For better, for better or worse, but better always. That's what. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So So you mentioned the core values, the DEA, discipline, effort, attitude. Talk about, talk about that. Um, You know, what does that, what does that look like practically in your, in, in, in your athletic program? So it's funny because DEA is, it's the discipline, effort, attitude. It's the, that is what's been established within our football program. But when I took over as AD, um, I made it our athletic ideal. It wasn't just, Hey, we do this in football. Cause to me, those three things, discipline, effort, attitude, that applies to volleyball, basketball, track, cross country. It doesn't matter what sport you're doing. Cause if you're not disciplined, it doesn't matter the amount of effort you put into it because you're going to make a mistake on the field and you can put all the effort in, in the world. But if you go and target somebody in a football game, that's a reflection of a poor attitude because you're being about me instead of about we. And mm. so, um, I haven't, I haven't like paper to paper streamlined it. You know, it's not something that is in my athletic handbook at the top per se. Right. It's just more, it's more of a way of, of how I expect myself and my athletes and then my coaches to carry themselves on a daily basis. So, um, and the other thing too, with, with DEA, it's like, so before every Friday night football game, we either do it on Friday before the game or the day before, um, coach Ocampo takes us through with, we do visualization. So our entire football team lays down on the floor, the lights go out 
and he talks, he says, all right, big, take a big, deep breath in, big, deep breath out. And he literally will just walk through the whole game, you know, see yourself not making that late hit, mm. see your, see yourself getting punched in the face and just walking away. See yourself being too disciplined to let the kids crap talking to you get in the way of the next play. See yourself with violent aggression, putting a kid on his butt and then picking him back up and doing it again the next play. And so if you really break down just those little things that, that, you know, I'm a firm believer that if, if you have success in fall sports, it carries over to winter and spring. And when you have a state championship team in football, you know, potentially playing for that. Our girls soccer team played for a state championship this fall. Our boys soccer uh, made it to the quarterfinals. I had a sophomore um, who ended up running at state for cross country with, I mean, just he shouldn't have qualified by standards, but it's, it's, it's setting the tone for the entire school year. And so DEA to me, um, while it was something I didn't even consider five, six years ago, it's everything to what we do here as Socorro Warriors. And um, the reason, you know, it starts with discipline, it, it, because your discipline will carry over into your effort and your attitude will withhold you if you're doing those mm. two things before. So, um, and then the other thing too, um, with DEA, the, we pick a new mantra every year. I think I told you about this. This year's was warrior magic. And so magic, you know, you can think of that in a lot of ways, but this year, that magic was make a greater individual commitment. Um, and so that I was the only letter in there that was capitalized because individually you're responsible for yourself. Sure. But when you're doing your one twelfth on that football field, you don't have to worry about what everybody else is doing. You're all, you're worrying about my job and trusting the guy next to you to the left and the guy next to you to the right to do your job too. And so if you're making a greater individual commitment to your team, you are going to always return to those principles of discipline, effort, and attitude because it's impossible to make a greater individual commitment to your teammates and your family and not fulfill DEA, if that makes sense. And so that's that's really what we're all about. And again, it's, it's more of a football thing that's just bled over into the other programs. Um, and when you see somebody like Coach Ocampo leading like that, who's been an athletic director before and he's been doing this for 20 years – um, you'd be a fool not to take some of those. You know, I, I always say the best coaches are the best thieves. You know, we just steal from the people who have done it better than us before, and we add, you know, our own sprinkle into it as well. So that's really Absolutely. what DEA is all about. So, you know, I, I'll be honest. <laughs> I've been looking forward to talking about that because, you know, following each other on Twitter before we actually had a conversation, I'd see the hashtag DEA. Yeah. And only in my mind, DEA is drug enforcement agency, yep. you know? Definitely so I'm like, what? I, I, kept, I kept trying to think of these different words. Um, yep. And then when you told me on the phone what it meant, I'm like, well, duh. You know? <laughs> but well, it just, it, but, it was so funny. All fall, I would see your tweets and hashtag DEA. And I'm like, what in the world does yeah, this mean? Yeah, but yeah. Um, it's, it's so awesome to to hear that. And, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about, you know, you, you said that applies to your athletic program, but yeah. you know, as a follower of Christ, right. we got to be disciplined. Yeah. It takes yes. some effort. Um, yes. and it is about our attitude. Um, you know, as a, as a husband and a dad, you know, yep. those things are, are, are critical as well. Right. You know, husband, so I, dad coach, I mean, yeah. every area of life, I mean, you, you know, Coach Ocampo, I, I, you know, I'm going to bring him up a lot, but he tells our young men all the time, like, are you going to be the dad when you graduate from here that chooses to, 
go buy the diapers instead of the six pack. That's discipline, mm. you know? I mean, yeah. and, and, yeah. and the, eff- the effort, are you going to wake up every morning, go to your job or, are you going to let it fall? The chips fall where they may. Are you going to wake up every morning and go, you know what, God, I don't know why you have me right here, but I'm going to be not positive, but I'm going to do this because I feel like it's where you have me. So he, that's, that's where it really, in a community like Socorro, DEA is like you just said, you're following Christ in that way as well. But it's also, if you never even have that conversation, you can still create, you know, young men of character who are going to go out and be contributing members of society. And some of these guys who have never even dreamed of getting out of Socorro, New Mexico, if you can just put that in their head, hey, you can do more because you got to leave to know you want to come back. If you never leave, you don't know if you could have gone somewhere else. So that's that's really what it's all about for for us. And yeah, DEA, you know, watching a little bit too much Breaking Bad there. So for sure. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I love it. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, I'm, yeah, like I said, I'm just sitting here looking, staring at it on the paper right now thinking about, I mean, that applies to no matter what stage of life and what career you're in, yep. it doesn't matter. It's, and it's yep. easy to remember. It is. I mean, every, it is. Everything we do in life requires discipline, effort, and attitude. That's awesome. So yes, I want to ask you about, I guess it's a coaching philosophy, if you will. Um, a lot's been made of, especially in football coaches, um, kind of this need, quote unquote, to tear down players using profanity. And I think it really got, some steam on social media a few months ago with a new series of um, last chance you uh, yeah. and you know, and then Tony Dungy and a couple other guys fired back and said, you, you don't have to use profanity. So as a believer, how do you approach mm-hmm. coaching, especially, I mean, you have to be hard on guys. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a part of coaching. So how do you balance that? Uh, the demands of winning, building players up versus degrading and tearing down? Well, so, you know, it's funny because I don't know. I, my, my language and the way that I spoke for a while got bad, just full transparency because of the kids who I was coaching. And so when you can be more influenced by the kids who you're supposed to be in charge of, it's time to take a step back and go, Hey, uh, who's the influencer here? You know what I'm saying? And so, um, my wife and I talked about it at the end of last year because, you know, not anything huge, but just, it was kind of out of character for me. Like I had always been so straight laced with my language and everything else. And then, you know, you get in this environment where these kids, all they know is the F word. All they know Mm. is this, toxic music that I can't even call music because it's so bad. I don't even know what I'm listening to. Like I, it's hard to not do it yourself, you know, if you're not pouring something else in. And so for me, it wasn't even, it's not even a group of coaches because the coaches I work with, that behavior is unacceptable. They Mm -hmm. just don't do, they don't do it. And, and so for me, it was eye opening because in Plano they did it and I'm not trying to defame. No, I'm not. Yeah. But I saw it all the time, you know, in other places that I've coached and people who I think had good intentions and who just thought this is the way it is. Um, it's not that I'm a bad person. It's not that, uh, this is, this is just the way I was coached. So I'm going to do it too. And so, um, my head coach here, coach Ocampo, um, his dad actually moved back, uh, and coached with us this year. He was uh, our O-line coach. He came back from Phoenix. Um, he was actually coach Ocampo, my, my head coach's head coach. So he, his dad coached his sons when they were here in oh, wow. he left and came back. 
And having him around this old school, um, straight laced, very by the book kind of guy, I think it caused all of us to kind of step our game up in the respect category because it was like, okay, we got this established, esteemed, probably future Hall of Fame coach on our staff who's taken this role of not being the head coach because he's just here for the right reasons for the kids. And mm-hmm. so, so for me, man, I, I don't know about you. I couldn't even watch more than a couple episodes of Last Chance You, to be right. completely frank, because – you just don't have to do it that way. I just, right. I, 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 me and you have talked about Dabo Sweeney um, having his word be love for, a, I mean, one of the most successful programs in the history of college football. Um, and you can say what you want about Nick Saban. I know he's, he is who he is, but I've never heard it come out of his mouth from the interviews. I just think he's intense. I mean, that dude is as intense as it gets and he's built a winning program and a machine there. Um, when coach Ed Orgeron got hired at LSU I mean, I remember seeing the tweets from LSU fans. This is the downfall of our program. This is crazy. And what are they doing this year? Joe Burrow throws for seven touchdowns in the first half of the college football playoff, which and made a very good Oklahoma team look like a high school team from Oklahoma. And from what I've seen from those three coaches, just from mentioning, and Tony Dungy, I have every book he's ever written, that I don't see them doing that. I don't, I don't, because, you know, and, and here's another one, James Franklin the other day, when they played Memphis in the Cotton Bowl and his player dumped Gatorade on him and he went in for a nice little form tackle. And I don't know if you saw that, but he tackled him back and they were laughing and loving on each other. Like that shows me that if you show your kids, Hey, I love you. I care about you. I want what's best for you. We're going to have some hard conversations. It's going to be difficult. However, if you know that I have your best interest at heart, you're going to take that criticism and it's going to carry you on later in life. Um, And so I think, I'll tell you this, the 14 to 16 best dudes in the city of Socorro are on my football staff and I might be their boss, quote unquote, as athletic director, but I learn more from them every single day than what I'm teaching them. I mean, just to be completely frank, as a 29 year old athletic director, they have a whole lot more they can teach me than what I, I'm learning every day. Um, and so do you have to do that? Absolutely not. Um, and honestly, one of my favorite things about last chance you is the responses it got from people like Tony Dungy saying, Nope, this isn't how it is. Sorry. And maybe this gets you your likes and your favorites and whatever else, but it's not how I do what I do. And I'm sorry, but Tony Dungy is as, as, as great of a mentor and role model in that category as it gets. I grew up in Indianapolis during the Peyton Manning era. Um, and I went to multiple games watching him play for the Colts. The reason I'm a Broncos fan now is because I thought I was a Colts fan. And when they got rid of Peyton, I was like, Nope, I'm a Peyton Manning fan. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, so, and he, and he was one that led that way too, you know? And I, I just, I think when you see the great guys do it like that, and then when you get on a community level with a guy like Damian Ocampo as my head coach, and you see a program go from 0 and 10 five years ago to 12 and 1 and playing for a state title in five years, there's just, there's no magic way to get there. It, it has to be love. And you're not going to get mm. there by down, you're not going to get there by downgrading your players and making them feel this small because then they're not going to trust you. So that's awesome. No, I love asking that because of that. I think a lot of folks are my age, older. Mm-hmm. Um, it that was the way it was done, and so yep. it was kind of expected. It's kind yeah. of the same thing when uh, I joined. I enlisted in the Air Force right out of high school. Yeah. Um, you know, and obviously basic training, all they do is yell at you. 
right? <laughs> but I remember I had one drill instructor that he didn't cuss. Mm-hmm. He yelled, he corrected, mm-hmm. he he got on us, but he never cussed. And I mm-hmm. thought, and it just, it was confusing at first yeah, because he's the only one that didn't cuss, but we still work just as hard. Yeah. You know, so it just, that just always sticks into my mind because. Well, and who I do mean, you remember more? Yeah, right. I got yeah. Yep. yep. You know, and I think and I, now as a dad, who my oldest is a sophomore in high school and loves football. So now mm-hmm. I pay attention to that a lot about, you know, I tell the coaches on his staff, hey, he could ride his tail all day long. You know, get on yep. it. Yep. You know, be hard on him. But, you know, I watch and you can do it without tearing down the person. I think I grew up in the era where it was – you wouldn't just – getting on them it was tearing them down too and i so i I love talking about that especially guys that are believers because it's it's just a an an awesome platform to shine for sure i could and i couldn't agree more and and what that returns me back to just real quick to elaborate on what you said i don't want to forget it i i was asked by one of my mentors would you want to be coached by you And, Mm. and that's that's not saying like hey tailor everything you do to that kid but you would be crazy to coach my running back the same way I coach my quarterback. They're different human beings, right? They're totally different human beings with different backgrounds and different stories. So it's not that my all state three, a player of the year quarterback who comes from a great home life. It doesn't mean that I'm easier on him or that, or I'm sorry, that I'm harder on him because he can handle it. It just means that that kid needs to be coached differently than my running back mm. because they're different people. I mean, I mean, it's, it's crazy to me to think that we could, you know, we do all these other things where we change based upon what room we're in or who we're around, but then coaching, you're just supposed to be a blanket the same with it. That doesn't make any sense to me. It's, it's, you can't be emotionless when you coach, it has to be emotionally driven. And your choice is, are you going to be positive energy and positive emotion and reinforcement or that negative degrading energy, which eventually gets, ends up getting guys not wanting to be around you. And I think the answer right. is pretty clear. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. And you're talking about molding husbands and dads too, right? I mean, yep. Yeah. Yep. hundred percent. So you talked about your wife and, and kids. Some. Um, so how do you balance <laughs> the demands of your, your career with being a husband and a dad? Ask her. Um, <laughs> um, well this year the answer was, you know, going from coaching four sports to two. Um, and that was an easy choice to be completely honest. I, my heart is very much in football. And I think that with football, the most, the, the, the second best place I can get my athletes and my football players around me is track. You got a lot of throwers, you got distance runners, you got sprinters and all that stuff. So, and it also breaks up the seasons, you know, basketball last year was an absolute grind. I mean, yeah. I think I was, I was telling you the closest game we had was 45 minutes away last year. And so if you got to see a JV and a varsity team playing all on the same night, you start at four, you play five thirty, and then your last game's at seven. And depending on how officiating goes, you got to feed the kids afterwards. You're not home till midnight at a 45 minute away game. It's not like Dallas where you're traveling 15 miles in, right. in any direction. So that was the first thing for sure. Um, stepping back and coaching a little bit less. Um, the other thing for me too was, um, and this is something I am terrible at. I have to be completely transparent about that because I take, I take work home with me. Um, there's always a schedule to be made. There's always an email to be sent. There's always a disgruntled parent to follow up with. There's always a happy parent to say, thank you for appreciating what we do. Um, 
But, and it's so corny and cliche, but uh, I saw this the other day at Christmas, your kids don't want your presence. They want your presence, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, With the C and an E. And so like last night I told my wife, look, LSU is playing Oklahoma at this time. And Clemson is playing Ohio state. If you want the boys in that room with me, that's fine. But I'm just going to make sure they don't die for the next couple of hours. Cause I'm watching these games, right? Like that's, but that, that's an outlier compared to, you know, okay, I finished my third varsity basketball game for the week. I'm home at eight o'clock. I have one hour to play with my kids and I need to make the most of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and the other thing too is, man, my four-year-old, he just straight up lives in the gym. He lives on the football field and he lives at the track. So, um, and that's something that I didn't even have to instill that culture. You know, Coach Ocampo, he's a family man. His two boys, his seventh grader and fifth grader, there are there are ball boys on Friday nights. So part of that is really just bringing your kids with you everywhere you go. Um, it's hard to bring my wife everywhere, especially being pregnant. Um, she needs to be home and hanging out. So that can be a little trickier, you know, making sure that we make time for each other. Cause you know, I, my mom and my dad always told me growing up, um, guess what? The first person who gets a kiss when I come home is your mom, because when you turn 18, I don't want to look across the room at her and go, who are you? Because mm. she's still going to be there and you're going to be out of the house. Right. And so for me, I try to remind myself and my wife and I have this conversation on a very consistent basis. Like, look, I love our kids, but they don't come first. Our Mm -hmm. relationship, me and you, you're my first priority. And if I'm not doing a good job, because our first year back here was really hard. I was, you know, back in, I was becoming athletic director, coaching football. I was living my career dream and she was sacrificing working as a teacher, which was not her major for a year, just so I could do those things. And we sat down at the end of the year and she said, some stuff has to change. I love Mm -hmm. you. I'm so glad that you're doing what you love, but it's time for me to kind of do that too, or else we're not going to be here much longer. And so we sat down and she's now teaching at a, at our church up in Albuquerque, which is a crazy drive, but God, I mean, God love her. She drives every day, an hour to and from, um, but she's doing what she loves now. She's working on staff at our church. She's finishing her master's in biblical counseling. Um, and my son actually goes to school up at church with her. So she gets two hours in the car every day with my four year old. Um, and so, and then I, you know, we make it work. I go pick up Amador, my two-year-old from daycare, and he usually ends up spending 30 minutes to an hour down on the football field with me before Kelsey comes and picks him up. Um, it's just making sure your family is just in, as incorporated with what you're doing um, because it's never going to be perfect, right? Like I'm, I'm going to be home at midnight some nights because we have a big game and it is what it is. But if I can have them up here at the gym with me, or if I can have them down on the football field with me, or if, Hey, I get one night this week where I have nothing, no school board meeting, no basketball game, no, whatever I am home. And, you know, I'd like to say my phone's put away. It's not usually because I I am usually still working on stuff, but it's making sure I do it smart. And, and I know my wife's look, if it doesn't take much for me to look over and go, okay, I need to put it down, you know? Um, but that balance, it's just such a weird word because I think my wife's answer would probably be different than mine. Um, but I think for me, it's having the presence of mind to know that it's a work area for me and being humble enough to say, Hey, Kelsey, what can I do better? And actually listening to her and doing those things. That's mm-hmm. really what it comes down to. Cause, cause you can ask all day long, but if something doesn't change, then 
what are you really doing? It's like a fan, you know, it's just, it's just with, with you know, winding in the wind yeah, back so. and forth. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's so. awesome. That's good. Um, the next question I want to ask you for some advice for a student athlete or a coach, um, mm-hmm. you know, not every place is it easy to be bold for Christ using the platform of athletics. Cause athletics is a platform right or wrong. Yeah. You know, yep. it can be used for good or for bad. Um, mm-hmm. So what advice would you offer a student athlete or a coach that is following Christ, but really wants to, to use the platform to be bold? How would you encourage them to do so? I think it's a tough one, but I think that the biggest the biggest issue is when people try to subdivide their lives. Like this is my mm. work life. This is my work life. This is my home life. This is my wife. These are my kids. If you wouldn't do it in front of your wife, then why would you do it up at the football field? If, if you, if you as a student athlete would not talk to your coach that way, then why would I get a referral from your English teacher? Right. Mm. I mean, it, your standard should be the standard. I, I, I mean, it doesn't. And, and again, for us, you got DEA plastered all over these walls. Um, and, and here's the thing. I'm a believer. It's very obvious to my coaches and the coaching staff. I think the kids know it. Um, you almost get made fun of for it sometimes like, Oh, coach wouldn't do this coach wouldn't do that. And I got to take it as a compliment because then that shows that they see something different in me. Mm-hmm. And you might get the joke on Monday, but on Friday when they need some advice, who are they going to? Exactly. And, and, uh, you know, it can cause some jealousy. You know, I, I have some connections with some kids here. I'm just very close with their families and them, but it wasn't easy gaining their trust. And so if I could give any coach, well, student athlete, the advice I would give is be you no matter what that may look like everywhere, because, because you're going to mess up, you're going to make mistakes. But if you have a goal in mind of what you want to be, you know, at the end of this life, when you, you know, whether, whatever you believe, but what I believe is you're going to answer to God someday. And when he asks you, like, did you do, did you fulfill your purpose? It should be a very easy yes. And if not, you wasted a whole lot of time. Um, And so that DEA, that discipline effort attitude, we ask our kids after every practice, did you give everything today? And the answer to me, while we should get some yeses, it's never going to be that because there's always, you always got a little bit more in you, right? I mean, I mean, and I sound like such a coach right now, but you all, you might've taken a playoff. You might've, you know, gone for water instead of listening to the coach. You might've given a yes, sir, but in your head, you're thinking about what you're going to eat after practice. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, so my thing is with kids for specifically, uh, don't leave anything on the table, be who you're going to be. And if it's, if you would change anything about how you're acting in the classroom versus how you're acting to your head football coach, it's time to do some reevaluating. Um, and then the same, I think would be true with coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a young coach for sure. I'm 29. I'm not even 30 yet. I've been super blessed in my career already. Um, being an athletic director at my age. And one of my biggest battles honestly is being taken seriously by people who are 15, 20 years older than me being told what to do by this, not even 30 year old kid. Um, Mm -hmm. but because I believe that God put me here when I start thinking that way. And and like we talked about with, with coach hunt, Jared hunts podcast. Um, if you're not, if it's not what's best for the kids, then why are we doing it? 
And if I can boil that down to, if a coach would just look at himself and go, it doesn't matter about the school board member. It doesn't matter about the, the town politics. It doesn't matter about this person. If I, at the end of the day can lay my head on the pillow and know that I did what was best for my kids, all that noise doesn't matter because I did what was best for that kid. And for us as believers, it looks much different because we believe that's leading them to Jesus and showing them in our, in our actions and our words and everything we do that, Hey, this is why I do what I do, but hopefully they see it instead of just hearing it come out of our mouths. So, you know, in our pursuit of being athletes and being coaches and seeking Christ and, and like you said, using our platform, like you said, it can be bad or good, but I think that there's no other platform like, like athletics to reach the hearts and souls of these young men. And that's something that if you get that going with each of your programs and if it's, if, if, if you can, I don't think there's a better way to take DEA than to do it in your, your walk with Christ and then let it just be an outpouring of everything else you do throughout your day. So that's a that. long, it's a long winded way to say, just do the right thing, man, do the right thing. Yeah. You know, what's <laughs> so. interesting is, um, you know, I've heard a bunch of different answers to that. And I've thought about that myself a lot, you know, mm-hmm. But I've never heard anybody use the word subdivide your life like that. I love that <laughs> because it's true. You know, a lot of times yeah. we do, we, we compartmentalize our, uh, that's my work life. This is my home life. This is my Christian life, you know, but it really is. If we're truly following Christ, it's, it's all together. And so I, I love that. And, that, and that's um, easier said than done a lot of times. Um, 100%. Yeah, that's good. Yep. So a lot of people, this is probably my favorite question. A lot of people yep. have a, a life verse, favorite scripture. Um, so I was going to ask if you have one you'd share, or is there a, a, a scripture that God's really using in your life right now that you would share to encourage us? So the, the, the stereotypical, you know, athlete coach one for sure, Jeremiah 29, 11. Yeah. Um, I love that verse and I always have, but um, you know, and to, not to be too out there, but um my, my actual verse that is a little weird is Luke six forty six, And it's, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I say? Um, and it's a, it's an odd one because it's so negative almost like you think, okay, that's, you know, it's not the Tim Tebow or whatever else, you know, and I love Tim Tebow and the passion that he brings. But for me, I don't need, I have passion. I'm like, this is what I'm doing. And I love my job and I'm right where I'm supposed to be. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rah, rah, rah. I actually need to be reminded like on the little stuff, like, Hey, if you really believe this, then why are you doing that? Mm, right. That's good stuff. Um, if you, if you're a, and it can go down to this, I don't allow cussing in the, in the weight room. Um, my kids know when they connect to the speaker, if the music isn't clean, it's about to be taken off and I'm about to put in what I call a punishment playlist. And it's basically 30 Justin Bieber songs and they hate me for an hour and a half, but that's the standard because newsflash, I'm not perfect. And if I hear those cuss words, I don't want to be cussing in front of my four-year-old and then having Jacoby come up to me and go, daddy, what's that mean? And being, and having my wife give me a look like, Oh, where'd you learn that one? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I constantly remind my football players too, like, Hey, like, look guys, you got a four-year-old around you. Do you want to be the reason my wife's upset with me when I go home? No, we have no, a you culture. Don't want to be that yeah. No, not at all. So Jeremiah 29, 11, um, it's been great for my life because my goodness, you could not track a weirder way to get to where I'm at. Um, but for me, my personal reminders, Luke 6:46. why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I say? Because 
there's not a point in your life where, I mean, you, you were talking about this at the start of the podcast or before the podcast, growing up in a small church, you do the right thing out of fear instead of doing the right thing because you know in your heart that's what God wants you to do, right? Mm-hmm. And it's that it's that legalistic Christianity. And so I don't want it to be, hey, I checked these boxes today. I did the right thing um, because I don't want to go to hell, right? Mm-hmm. I, want it, I want it to be... I'm in the word, I'm praying, I'm investing in these kids' lives. I'm, I don't have to answer to God, why, didn't you, why did you know the right thing and not do it? So that's, mm-hmm. that's my verse. And that's why Luke 6.46, it's kind of an odd one, but it's the one that I've, I've – it's just easy to carry with you because it's a good reminder of the time. Like, like I said, it's very long-winded to say, do the right thing. So No, that's good. Luke 6, so yeah. last question, two words, all in. Um, it's mm-hmm. very common in sports. I mean, you mentioned the college football playoffs. We're recording this the day after the semifinals and Clemson, their chin straps, they all in. We know what it means, but all mm-hmm. through scriptures in the New Testament, Jesus talks about, you know, what it means um, to be a follower of Christ and, and being all in, you know, denying ourselves. And you've talked about, about that in your story, but on a pri- this is a practical daily daily question really so what does that look like in your life alex on a daily basis to be all in for christ the living so again what jared hunt said um if if it's not what's best for the kids then why are we doing it and all the other stuff all the other stuff the noise and everything else just being able to say hey look um if i wouldn't want if would you want to be coached by you if the answer is yes, keep doing what you're doing. If not, it's time to reevaluate. So for me, being all in every single day is just reminding myself in my profession and then letting it overflow to my family. If it's not what's best for the kids around me that have been, their parents entrust me to be there for them eight hours a day minimum. And then if they play sports for me, add four to that. And so we actually end up seeing those kids as coaches for more than our, their parents do, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's crazy. So why would I not take full advantage of that, those eight hours? And then something my wife reminds me of every day, you show so much grace to other people's kids. You show so much Ooh. patience. When you get home, I need that too. Wow. <laughs> and, yeah. And so that is a reminder I get all the time because my wife is the best. She's you, it takes a special kind of person to be a coach's wife and, and, uh, and for my wife to, to, to sit down and be humble enough to say, look, you're so good with these other people who you have zero connection to, except for the fact that God put them in your life. We're your family. We need that too. It's a great reminder. That's, that's what all in looks like. Cause you can be all in everywhere. And like I just said, not subdivide your life. You can be the same person at home and at the workplace. So that's awesome. That's good yeah. stuff, man. Hey, I appreciate I appreciate you sharing your sharing your heart with us, and I um, I wish you the wish you the best. Appreciate you having me, Stuart, and looking forward yeah. to more interactions. Dea, yeah. that's right. Thank you again to Coach Johnson for taking time to to share his story, his journey into coaching, to now a very young athletic director in New Mexico, where a school just played for. Um, a state championship this this last season and just his passion for for Christ and making Christ known through the platform of athletics and the biggest takeaway as I look at my notes is he says 
not to subdivide your life. And I think that's something that each one of us could take away and examine our own lives because I know it's at times we do, we subdivide. We tell God He can have our job, our church life, but not our finances, or He can't have our sports life, whatever it may be. But um, as, as Alex reminded us, we can't subdivide. We've got to be all in. So thank you again for listening. I hope you were encouraged. I, I'd ask you to share it with somebody. I also ask if you're not a subscriber, whatever platform you're listening through, to hit the subscribe button. There's over 100 previous episodes I know will encourage you, and I'm excited about the ones to come, and so you'll just get them automatically downloaded. Um, Again, share it. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear from you. You can look us up on uh, social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just type in All In Sports Outreach. Um, You can find out who we are, why we do what we do, interact with us. I'll start through our website, www.allinsportsoutreach.org. Again, find out who we are, why we do what we do. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your encouragement.